John's message this morning is taken from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Father, I love Christ, and I am so thankful that you sent him, and that he came the way he came, and lived the way he lived, and died the horrible way he died, and rose the way he rose, and reigned the way he reigns. And I love the people of God. I love gathering on the Lord's Day, Christmas, with your people. There's no place on planet earth I would rather be than right here, right now. And so, Lord, my life is full and I'm thankful for the gift of this moment. And I pray for those who have been hearing the Word of God in these days leading up to Christmas and now in this hour who are without Christ he is not their Savior and not their King. And I ask that that would change by the power of your Holy Spirit. And that you would save sinners and sanctify saints and give hope to the discouraged and guidance to the perplexed and reconciliation to those who feel alienated and peace to those who are anxious. Come and help me now, please open this word concerning your son. In his name I pray, amen. Verse 26, in the sixth month, that is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy with John the Baptist, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. 
I think that's the most fundamental thing you can say about the meaning of Christmas, that it originates with God, starts with God, has to do with God. God sent this angel. God got this thing started. There is a meaning of Christmas without God. There's no biblical meaning of Christmas without God, and there's no historical meaning of Christmas without God, but there's an American meaning of Christmas without God, and, and there's a European meaning of Christmas without God. And I got an email this week that informed me that there's a, um, a Buddhist meaning of Christmas in Bangkok with all the frills minus God. That's a remarkable thing, but there is no biblical, true, historical meaning of Christmas without God in the sixth month. The angel Gabriel was sent from God. Christmas is about the creator of the universe who is not part of the universe. We're not pantheists. It's about the creator of the universe, distinct from his creation, creating what is not he And then, in a way that we're going to ponder, penetrating to become, become part of it without ceasing to be the uncreated non-part of it that he is. That's Christmas. These radically different realities you remember how God identified himself, named himself in Exodus 3:14 when he sent Moses to deliver his people and Moses said, they're going to ask me who did this. And he said, you tell them, I am who I am sent you. What does that mean? It means God is absolute reality. He doesn't come into existence He doesn't become what he's not. He doesn't get better today than he was yesterday. There is zero development in the divine being. He simply is. Before you were, I am, galaxies were, or anything that could cause the Big Bang was. He was, is, will be. No beginning, no ending, no development, no becoming, absolute, non-created Reality. Without that, no Christmas. And then he created what is not God, a universe. And on Christmas, he entered it. So what I want to do is... Let the Gospel of Luke teach us two things about that. One, how did he do that? And two, who came of it? And in asking the question, who came of it? I want to be real practical and say, so so what? What difference does it make for us? Let me add one more thing to increase the astonishment that we should feel at this. This universe 
the moral part of it, the personhood part of it, the pers- us, the personal part of it is in rebellion against the king. We're in rebellion against God. So when he's coming, he's not just coming to hang out. There's a problem he's coming to deal with, and we're it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God sent not the son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's why he's coming. So let's go to Luke 1, 26 to 38, and ask two questions. One, how did he do it? And two, who came of it? And so what? Number one, how did he do it? How did the creator of the universe break into his universe? There are four answers to that question. Maybe more if you group them differently. Number one, he broke into the universe by doing what is impossible to do. Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. That's words of Gabriel to Mary when she's perplexed about how this can come about, which he's describing When all of our objections are over, when we've said everything there is to say by way of this can't happen, this is mythology, there remains one sovereign sentence. Nothing will be impossible with God. God has been getting ready for this for thousands of years. Genesis 18:14 Is anything too hard for the Lord? That's 2000 years before it happened. Job 42:2 I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Jeremiah 32:17 Ah Lord God, it is you who made the heavens and the earth. And by your great power and your stretched forth arm, nothing is too hard for you. And then the time came. The fullness of time for the most impossible thing among all impossible things to happen. And God did the impossible. That's the first thing we should just settle it. This cannot happen. And God says, I can make it happen. Number two, he broke into the universe, how? By choosing to enter through a virgin. Verse 26 and 27. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin. Then in verse 31, the angel says, You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, 
And Mary responds in verse 34, How will this be, since I am a virgin? Literally, I know no man. I haven't had sexual relations with anybody. Excuse me, Mr. Gabriel, Joseph and I are engaged. We're not married. I can't have a baby. That's beautiful. You hear that, young people? You just let, that's not the point of this message, but it's just too beautiful to pass over. Don't you understand, Mr. Angel? We're engaged. We're not married. I can't have a baby. Receive that message, young people. It's beautiful. Virginity is beautiful. Don't let the world shape you into its mold. God made this choice. You see that? God sent an angel to a virgin. He could have sent an angel to a sweet, godly, Jewish, married girl. Could have done it that way. He didn't do it that way. He chose a virgin. Why? Now, why questions are really good questions. But if you push them too hard, you might go beyond the Bible. But let's push on it. Luke, why? And he he answers. Verse 35. The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Now note this next word, therefore. Therefore, the child born like this, this way, will be called holy, the Son of God. God chose to be conceived in a virgin so that the fatherhood of this child would be absolutely unique. There never has been another human being born like that. God means to signal loud and clear the virginity of Mary signals He's my son. Not Joseph's biological son. My son. Son of God. Very significant that he chose a virgin. He wanted to make crystal clear the fatherhood of this child is different than the fatherhood of every other child that's ever lived. God is Uniquely the father of this child. Answer number three. How does God break into this universe? 
He broke into the universe by choosing for his son a legal human father who would be heir of David and king of Israel. The king of Israel. Heir of David, the king of Israel. Verse 26 and 27. In the sixth month, the, the angel Gabriel went, was sent from God to a city named Galilee, in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. That's very important. He's not his biological father, but he will be his legal father. And the legal line must stand with David. For 2,000 years, God has been working with the Jewish people. Promise after promise after promise, a Messiah will come. And he will be the son of David. And you'll sit upon David's throne. He's going to be in that line. It's going to be legal. It's going to be done right. All things ordered and secure by covenant. So I will find a virgin. I will make a virgin. Engaged to an heir of the throne of David. That must be. God did not break into the universe as a generic human being. There are no generic human beings. He came as a Jew. Awesome. God entered history as a Jew. Son of David. So that all the Jews would glorify God someday. For his truthfulness in keeping all the promises. And, and he was a human. That all the nations might see in him who they are. And their representative as well. So the third answer to the question how is. He chose a father legally for his son. Who would be an heir of the, of the throne of David. Finally number four. God broke into the universe by sending His Holy Spirit with divine power to impregnate the Virgin, Mary, with a divine child. Verse 34. She says to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? I think the next verse is probably just about the most important sentence that could ever be written. Before I read it, do you remember she asked, how can this be? When Zechariah got his visitation from the angel... And the angel said, your wife's going to have a baby. And she's barren. And they're old. He said, how can I know this is going to happen? And the angel did not like that question. 
and he shut his mouth. What's wrong? Why does he, why is he okay with Mary's question? It's because Mary didn't call him into question, not in the least. Mary just says, this is strange. How is this going to happen? I think how questions are just fine. Just don't say to God, prove it. Say to God, I don't understand my life. I don't know what you're doing. I'm really confused. And I would like some help to understand what's going on. And I think God's okay with that kind of question. Here's the answer that he gives. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. This is how it's going to happen, Mary. Listen carefully. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And the power of the Most High will will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So Mary, God Himself, in the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is going to come. He's going to come with impossibility working power. And there's going to be an overshadowing. And within that sweet, dark, safe shadow, chaste, pure, holy, He's going to make you pregnant. I don't think we should go any further than that. It's under a shadow. It's quiet. It's pure. It's right. It's beautiful. It's good. No more speculation. And a child happens. So those are the four answers. One, God breaks into this universe by doing the impossible. He does it by choosing a virgin. He does it by choosing a legal father in the line of King David. And he does it by the Holy Spirit overshadowing and impregnating Mary with God. Now the question is, who came of it? And so what? Who came of it? I want to begin with a controversial answer and then define it four ways. The controversial answer is a king came. Let's get that clear before I tell you why it's controversial. Luke 1.32 in the middle of the verse. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So do you see the three words that make it crystal clear? We're talking about a king. First word, throne. The Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. Second word, reign. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Third word, kingdom. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Now that's controversial for this reason. You don't like kings. 
You don't like monarchy. You like democracy. We're in Iraq shedding blood for democracy. We don't like the system in Saudi Arabia. Democracy is the modern way. Monarchy is ancient, less civilized, not suitable for what we have become in history. We don't want kings. We want to vote. That's a problem because he didn't come to be elected. He elects. We don't get a vote. Now let me respond to that simply, soberly, with a sentence that I have on my sheet here, crossed out, written in, crossed out, written in, trying to get it just right. So I'm going to read it, and I, I think I can stand by this one. You know, when you use word only and never and always, you better be careful. So here we go. The only legitimate reason that kingship is not attractive to us is because in this age, in this world, the only kings available are finite and sinful. C.S. Lewis said at least three times in three different places that I could find why he loved democracy. He died the same day John F. Kennedy died, so you can orient him up to 1963. So mid-20th century in England. And a lover of democracy. Don't, don't quibble with me here about republic versus democracy. We're talking alternative to monarchy. And having a say in the government. Here's what he wrote. It's very good. Very good. I agree with it. Totally. A great deal of democratic enthusiasm descends from ideas of people like Rousseau who believed in democracy because they thought mankind so wise and good that everyone deserved a share in the government. The danger of defending democracy on those grounds is that they are not true. (laughs) I just love C.S. Lewis. He's just so clear, straightforward, so haze, it's just... Wrong, Rousseau. (laughs) I find they are not true, he says, without looking further than myself. I don't deserve a share in governing a hen roost, much less a nation. The real reason for democracy is mankind is so fallen that no man can be trusted with unchecked power over his fellows. Aristotle said, 
that some people were only fit to be slaves. I do not contradict him, but I reject slavery because I see no men fit to be masters. However, if there could be a king not limited in wisdom, not limited in power, not limited in goodness, not limited in his love for his subjects, only a fool or rebel would not want that king. This is an amazing thing. I've just been trembling with this insight. It may not be as big as it feels to me. Um, maybe I'll write the Star article about it, try to get my thoughts clearer, but just bring you into where I'm thinking right now. What this means is that Democracy is exactly right for now and wicked for later. So if you try to absolutize democracy as the ultimate form, treason, against King Jesus is the only thing that can be spoken over you. I think historically humanity has grown up into something better than what once was with the kind of totalitarianism that so marked so many civilizations gone before. I say thank you God for the progression into a modern system of giving human beings say in who rules them on fallen planet earth. Amen. Thank you God for America and many other States. And that system for which I'm so grateful is the embodiment of evil. If you try to stretch it into the kingdom of Christ, which is coming. It's one of the reasons it's so hard to spread Christianity on planet Earth. We got this crazy out-of-date notion that there should be a king someday. And a personal king now over all your autonomy. It's worth thinking about. Now, here's what I have to do toward closing. All I've done is to say there's a controversial answer to the question, who came of it? Answer, a king came of it. Take it or leave it. But that's, that's not all. It's just not take it or leave it. It's what kind of king? Tell us, what kind of king? Is it a king we would want to have? Or is it a king we would be f- afraid of having? And there are four words in this paragraph that answer that question. And I'll just give them to you briefly. 
Number one, first word, holy. Verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and therefore the child will be, to be born will be called holy. Let that land on you with good news. It's good news because it means that by the time he's ready to die, this holy, holy, holy child, grown up into be a holy, holy, holy man, will be an absolutely perfect lamb of God with no blemish and no stain, so that when he lays himself out on the cross, it will not be for his own sin, but whose? Mine. Yours. The holiness of Jesus is a gift of unparalleled worth. It is so great, so pure, so undefiled, it can bear the sin of the world. And secondly, when he rises, having made purification for sins, he will be a flawless king. Holy, holy, holy in his dying for us and holy, holy, holy in his ruling over us. That's the first word, holy. Second word, son, son of God. Verse 35 again, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and therefore the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. He is God. God creates humans like us. God begets God. That's another quote from C.S. Lewis. Little rabbits have little rabbits. Little frogs have tadpoles that become frogs. And God has God. He makes sculptures like Him. He begets deity. So the second thing to say about this king is not only is he holy, 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 but he is divine. Let that land on you for the kind of king you might want because if you have a king who is pledged to care for you and protect you and guard you from all enemies that would bring you to ruin, you want a king who has the kind of power that has no supreme. And God has no body above him. So if the king is God, you're safe. Number three, the word Jesus Verse 31, oh, how precious this name is. Behold, Mary, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. God did not leave it up to Mary to choose to name this boy. He didn't leave it up to Joseph. I will decide what my son will be named, and he will be named Jesus. Why? The sound of it? it? Rings with the last name? No. Jesus. 
Jesus is an English transliteration of the Greek Jesus. Just change the I to a J. And Jesus in Greek is the counterpart in Hebrew to Yeshua, which means Joshua, which means deliverer, savior. So when God chooses to name his son, he says, name my boy Savior. It's exactly what it says in Matthew 1.21. You will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He gave him a name. Just let that land on you. I name him Savior. I name him Savior. I name my God, man, son, Savior. Could a purpose be any clearer? He did not come to judge. That will come if we reject the first coming. But for now, it's I'm coming to save. My name is Jesus, Joshua, Savior, Helper, Deliverer. That's the third thing to know about the King. First, He's holy. Second, He's God. Third, He's coming to save. Last, the word forever. Verse 33. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. No re-election. No successors to the throne of Jesus. He's done dying. He has his life by virtue of an indestructible resurrection. He took his seat on the throne of God and he reigns forever, which means that all of his holiness and all of his divinity and all of his Jesus-like saving mercy counts for you forever. There will never come a day when he will be replaced on the throne of the universe. Never. And so, Bethlehem, I commend to you a better alternative in the end than democracy. I don't want to vote. I just want to submit. I want this king. I want him to be my king, my savior, my God, forever. I don't want to vote. I think the way the Lord would have me close is to say this. In the name of God, I beseech you. To receive the amnesty that is still in force for your rebellion against King Jesus. I think God would say to me what he said to Paul in 2 Corinthians 5. You're my ambassador this morning. This is the day of salvation. Go say in my name. There is an amnesty. It is still in force. 
And the amnesty is this. If you, any of you, will lay down your sword, lay down your weaponry of rebellion against me, just drop it. In your heart right now, just drop it. And then kneel or fall or lie down like a little baby and receive my forgiveness for all the rebellion against my kingship. It's free. I paid for it with my son's blood. And then swear allegiance to me. As king. And if you will. Do that. You will be a child of God. And you will live forever. And there will be a wall of fire. Around you. Called God. And in the midst will be the glory. And you will enjoy. The revelation of God forever and ever and ever. And death will be a portal into paradise. But if you will not drop your sword, if you insist on being your king, you will perish. Because he's going to win. Don't do that. We prayed downstairs just a few minutes ago. We prayed up at the North Campus a couple hours ago. Wouldn't it be the greatest memory of your life to say, Christmas 2005, I saw the King and I submitted my life to Him. Let's pray. Father, it's just so real. When the sky splits someday soon and the trumpet sounds and the Lord stands forth in visible glory, millions are going to say, why didn't I believe that preacher? And it will be too late. So Father, I pray that the beauty of Christ, your Son, His holiness, His deity, His saving mercy, His eternality, all defining His kingship, would appear to everyone in this room as self Evidencingly true and valuable beyond words. We adore you, Father.